church. Good to see all of you here. We prayed, and I'm going to pray again. I love praying, by the way. I don't know that why the Bible says it, but it's true. God taught us to pray. If it wasn't anything, I think people misunderstand what prayer is and prayer groups. It's not a genie in a bottle that has you pray and ask for God to do something. It's when we pray, we pray to the Lord because we're thankful and we're hopeful and we're grateful and we're looking for God to answer our prayers, but as long as it's in His will, that's what it means to pray. And so a prayer is an important thing. And so let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we are about to open up Your Word and read Your Word. Like you said in chapter 1, those who hear the Word are blessed. And just in hearing revelation, we are blessed. And those who say the Word are blessed as well, so thank You for that gift. And God, I just pray that it would be Your words that You give to me, not mine, but Yours, that we would from you and be able to understand from you what you want us to know about yourself, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, we pray for this church. We pray for its people. We pray for the things that it's doing, Lord, that it would be in your will, that we would look to you and find comfort and peace. Back to you, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive those trespass or sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. Lord, deliver us from all evil. Lord, unite us in your divine purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Revelation. Starting from now for a few weeks. We're kind of going quick in the introduction to chapter 1, but I get you two and three verse of all the seven letters to the churches. And that was what we did last week. We actually looked at the letters that Jesus told John to write to the seven churches that were in Asia, and they all, all had issues. None of the churches were perfect. They all had something that was in their issue that they needed to fix on that Jesus wanted them to work on. And so Ephesus, theirs was, they had great time sharing the gospel in the beginning, but they left their first love. The second and third generation of the church stopped Jesus or sharing the love of Christ, and they needed to fix that. They needed to repent. The second one was Smyrna. They actually stood up for Christ, but were worried about outside appearances. They stood up for Christ, but they were worried more about outside appearances, tribulations, and poverty, and they forgot that they were already truly rich in Jesus Christ. They missed it. The third church was Pergamum, and they hold fast to Jesus' name, but, and against most false teachers, However, they had a health and wealth prosperity gospel message in their church. And Jesus calls it out right then and there. He's like, stop doing this. This is not okay. So Pergamum has an issue. Then Thyatira has an issue. They, they have love and faith and service and patient endurance. However, they're into all kinds of gender neutral and sexual fluidity. So this isn't a new thing, people. It's not new. People go, wow, this is new. I've never heard of this before. It's not new. Every single person in Shakespearean plays were played by men. So yes, Romeo and Juliet was played by men. This is not a new issue. And it's not okay. And so he tells them, stop doing this. It's not okay. You were born the way I knit you together in your mother's womb. Stop telling me I'm wrong and you're right. That's the real issue. Then we have Sardis, the fifth church, and they look good on the 
outside, but they're spiritually dead. They were really dead on the inside. They had no spiritual power at all. They had no life at all. And they needed to wake up. Then there's the church in Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. They loved Jesus and had open doors for Christ. However, they had little power and didn't exercise it against the synagogue of Satan. They didn't trust in the ways of the Lord. And lastly, Laodicea, these were people who claimed to follow Jesus. However, they were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. And God, Jesus said, is going to vomit them out. Each church is doing something good and then failing in an area. And I ask us all, what are we going to be doing when we look at each church? We need to wake up. We need to look at the truth. We need to make sure that Jesus Christ, if you were to send a letter to him today, what would he say? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you all to know, like I said last week, that this is really great ministry. We need a lot of work in this. And I don't want to have any of us vomited out. I don't want any of us to have insignificant power against us. I don't want any of us to be teach poor theology, especially about sexuality. I really don't want, and I'll never teach here a healthy love, trust, fear, and gospel. It's easy to do that. It is. And, and they do it all the time. And there are people I meet that say, if all you do is send, God will give you tenfold back. Send whatever gift you can to us. God will give you tenfold back. If you send in the right amount of money, we'll even give you this healing prayer shawl, or we'll give you some anointing oil, or you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Really easy to play that game. You can have your best life, and you can have it now. I won't teach that to you. I'm sorry. I'm only going to stick to the Scriptures. Because if I don't, you're going to miss what Jesus really is. I truly do not want a second and third generation of Christians, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, to not know Jesus. And as a church, we're going to preach the truth, and we're going to run to Jesus. Because if you go to a church that doesn't teach about Jesus and just kind of does stuff that seems Jesus-ish, I actually know a pastor who's doing a sermon series, a 12-week sermon series, on just one verse, and all the rest of it has to do with he came up with all the other information. But one verse, 12 weeks, he's teaching on one verse. And it has nothing to do with the verse. He's just pulling it out of the sky, and I'm going, why are you doing that? Oh, they want to hear topical messages. I want to hear the Word of God. I don't know about you all, but I don't want to hear about me. I don't want to hear my, my thoughts and what I think is important. I want to hear what God says. So here's something interesting. Today, we're going to see something important in Jesus Christ in heaven. In Revelation, we get to see something that what's going on in heaven. Have ever you, has any of you ever thought about what heaven looks like? Have you ever been curious what it's going to be like? Today I'm going to try and give you some understanding of what God says heaven is like and what we get to see in heaven, what God is like. It's an amazing place. And so I want you to kind of pay close attention to what's being said here and what he's describing here so you can actually see kind of a glimpse from a second-hand perspective. Because remember, this is John in the first century, around 90. 
writing a letter, he's always, and you're going to see here in chapter 4, verse 1, he's called up to heaven. He's no longer on earth, and he's in heaven, and he's going to give us a description of what heaven's like, and then he's going to talk to us from everything from the point on, from chapter 6 on to 18, he's seeing what's going on down on earth, and he's up in heaven. And so I want you guys to see his description of heaven and to realize that we as the church get to experience the same thing. It's a first century God, so he's trying to explain to you, put yourself in that position and see what he sees. He's never seen an airplane before. He's never seen cars or trucks. He's never seen war machines like what we have today. So when he's describing stuff, put yourself in that position of a person who kind of sees war done by foot or war done on horseback or maybe chariots when we get to chapter 6 through 18. But right now, he's going to tell us what he's experiencing. So that's what this is all about. What is heaven like? What is heaven? It's Revelation 4 and 5. It says this, chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And at the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnaline, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down or fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. By your will, they existed and were created. This is heaven. This is God writing a letter. It's amazing what we can describe. John is being called up by Jesus to come up 
what must take place after the rapture of the church. He's going to be shown the world and its events. He's going to describe for us everything that he sees today and the judgments that must take place for mankind. However, he's trying to explain to us what heaven is. What's the throne room of God look like? Heaven is like the first, and what he sees is really what's going to be for all of us. We get to see God sitting on a throne in heaven. But I want you guys to hear this. Listen to this description. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnally around the throne was a rainbow and the, the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was as it was a sea of glass like crystal. We get to see the power of God, the majesty of God, the place of the throne of God, the creator of all things is hanging out there. We get to see the power, the majesty, the might of God. I, I truly think our human language fails us here. It fails us. This is the best we can come up with. For a lot of us, this is confusing. We say to ourselves, what's a sea like crystal? What does that even mean? That's the best we can do to describe it to us. It's trying to show you that God is awe-inspiring. It's, it's a majestic area. And the best that John could come up with was this description. And for many of us, it's kind of confusing. We sit there and go, well, what does that mean? He, he has a rainbow that has the appearance of an emerald. Because I thought the rainbow was all the colors. Goyjibiv, right? Isn't that what you learned in school? The rainbow, goyjibiv? It must have the appearance of an emerald. But that's what John described as. Listen to what Ezekiel actually describes the throne of God like, the throne room. He says this in Ezekiel 1, chapter 26 through 28. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of the throne, was the likeness of a human appearance. Verse 27. And upward from what he had in the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from that, what had the appearance of a waist, I saw that there was the appearance of fire, like there was the brightness all around him. Verse 28, like the appearance of a bow that's in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of all the brightness all around. Such was the appearance and the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, Ezekiel says something interesting, I fell on my face. Two different people. Two different times tried to explain something to us of what the throne room of God the Father looked like. He fell on his face, which we're going to do the same. I mean, think about it. It's amazing to think about God the Father this way and, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That rainbow is an important aspect of life. In fact, the rainbow 
God's covenant with us, then he's never going to destroy man again, he says. He's showing us the true meaning here of an everlasting promise. It's our eternal promise from God that he loves us. He cares for each and every one of us. I was in college one day and there was a professor who was speaking. He said to us, the whole hour he had class, that God wasn't real. God was fake. I mean, the myth that God, that that man created, there's been myths throughout history and man created God and God's not real. And so then he does something interesting with us Christians in the class. He actually says to us, guess what, you Christians? I'm going to blaspheme your God for the next hour. I'm going to prove to you that he's not real. And he goes for a full hour talking about blasphemies of God. And about four minutes left, he looks at his watch. People in the class are kind of nervous. We're sitting back. We're waiting, watching to see what happens. And the next thing you know, five minutes go by. Nothing happens. Class ends. And he walks out all confident. And he showed it. He stuck to this. I remember going to church the next day said something very interesting. You ready? He said, huh, that professor thought that he could exhaust all of God's grace and mercy in one hour class. I said, what's that, Pastor? He thought he could get rid of all God's grace and mercy in one hour. That's impressive that the professor thinks he can do that. The moral of the story is simple. God's judgment and mercy is what we call 
being outside of God's presence for eternity is what we call hell. And that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. He has mercy for us now while we're here on earth. But I'm telling you now, when we pass from this life to the next, there will be a point in time where we will have separation. And if you don't know God, you will not be with Him forever. And that is hell. And I'm not here to tell you anything scary. I don't know what hell looks like, except that God's judgment is there. I know that there is unquenchable flames, according to what Jesus taught in chapter or chapter 16 of Luke. You can go check it out yourself. But hell is a very real place that Jesus even preached about. To the Pharisees, he says to them, when you go and make a proselyte, you make them twice the child of hell as you are. So when you hear pastors in Grand Rapids tell you that love wins and there is no hell, just understand, he's a liar and he's the father of lies. That's what Satan wants you to think. He can write a book and he can go on Oprah Winfrey. He can hang out with all the celebrity friends. But I'm telling you right now, he's lying to you. There is a hell. And Jesus talked about it. Anyone who says there isn't is just lying. It's not true. But this is what heaven is. This throne room where we get to see the promises of God in the midst of him. It's who he is. It's who he's part of him. It envelops who he is. That mercy, that grace, and that peace. What's interesting is in verse 4, we also see the 24 elders around the thrones. The 24 elders was asked to me one day, what does that really mean? And so I want to explain it to you. It's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus. That's where the 24 comes from. 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus. We get to see them in heaven. Think about that for a moment. We get to hang out with Peter. <laughs> Who wants to hang out with that bold guy? Yeah, I do. I would like to hang out with all the disciples. I agree, Joel. It's going to be amazing. I'd actually like to hang out with the 12 tribes of Israel and, and kind of shake them and be like, what were you thinking? kidding, I would never do that. But it's amazing. We get to see them in heaven. We actually are going to cast our crowns at the Father's feet, at God's feet, just like they did. Then it says in verse 5, this is kind of interesting, the sounds of heaven. Did you ever think about the sounds of heaven? Uh-oh, it didn't come up. All right, well, I must have missed that slide, sorry. The sounds of heaven. Because here's something interesting. The volume is turned up for us. Think about this for a moment. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. How many of us have listened to thunderstorms during the summer months? Yeah? I actually am I'm drawn to those things. When it's really thunderstorming, what's amazing in Michigan is it gets super dark and clouds come in and it thunders and it's like that for months. because you see off in the distance this crazy cloud and it's raining and it's thundering and it's lightninging and you're going, I'm hanging out in the pool and it's sunny. It's kind of cool though, but how many of you have been really close to a thunderstorm or a lightning strike? Is it super loud? What's it make you 
step back a little bit, crawl up, hide. That's what it does for me. That's what it's going to be like for some of us, is to hear that rumbling and that lightning and that thunder. Next, we see the third person of the Trinity. We actually get to see the Holy Spirit. The word here for lamp is a little different in Greek than lampstands that we saw for the churches. We actually get to see the lamp of God. The word here is about the Spirit of God, the sevenfold Spirit of God. In fact, it's the sevenfold Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. All of it, that complete Holy Spirit, that sevenfold completeness. I talked about seven a lot. seven parts of him. It's the Trinity. We saw the Trinity in heaven. Even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, we see it right here. In fact, what's interesting is we see God the Father's throne room, we see the Holy Spirit, and we actually get to see Jesus Christ. Here's what's kind of cool. What do I mean by that? He talks about this. Here it is. Matthew says this. We see the lion. So the four creatures, I think, is kind of a picture of Jesus Christ. The lion is the lion or the lion of Judah. Mark is the ox. Jesus is the servant, the burden bearer, and the sacrifices for our sins. Luke is Jesus. He's the second Adam. But he dies as a righteous man. And lastly, we have John. Jesus is God's only son, the heavenly one who imparts eternal life for us. We actually get to see all of it. And it's described to us. So what do we get to do with that? We get to pray with God. Three in one. Three persons, one essence. We get to hang out in heaven and praise God. And we get to learn from Him. And how do we praise God? Well, they tell us, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God, God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. We get to say that to St. Augustine, I don't know if you all know who St. Augustine is, old guy, writing way back. He actually says this, You awaken us to delight in your praise, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's the reality of what's happening right now. Some of us are very restless. We're restless for what's happening in our world today, and we're looking for something to fulfill a need in us, to make us feel good, and the reality is, we don't live for here and now, we live for heaven. It's a place where there is no moth or rust that can destroy our rewards. That's a beautiful picture. We don't have to have our new story in our lives today. I think we know that as well. We treasure that. We live for heaven. We get to share Christ with them. I 
beggar show another beggar what the truth is. What I don't like is that we have false beggars out there, false wolves in sheep's clothing, telling you that this is really good food that you just got off the shelf. Let me show you this really good food that God had. Don't pay attention to that pile of food. That was food for another day. Look at this. Look at this really good food. This is good. It's just a pile of garbage. It's lies. And we actually have people eating at that trough like it's the greatest thing ever. Missing the truth. Missing the truth of the scriptures. Jesus Christ is heaven in splendor. He's the slaughter of the Lamb. That's the truth. The only one who's worthy to open up the scrolls. He's going to receive the praise from all angels and worship from all created things. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back a sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 4, And I began to weep loudly because a lamb was found. said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is able to do it. The second person of the Trinity is able to do it. We got to see God the Father, Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, God's Son, the one who conquered. He died, he rose again, and he's preparing place for us now, but he's seated on the throne and he's ready to open the seven seals. The only one who's worthy. He alone is able and willing to open those scrolls that have been written. Christ is going to bring in the coming judgments everything that we need to be ready for when he showed up. my mind is John is there and John is seeing Jesus transfigured on a mountain. John is seeing Jesus in the throne room. John's still missing that no one was worthy to open the scroll. Why do you think that is? I'm going to leave you with that question. Ponder that over the week and ask yourself why John, a disciple, didn't recognize that Jesus was the one This isn't easy to preach. I have to ask myself this question every day in the morning, and then in the evening, and then in the afternoon, and then just before I go to bed. I'm constantly asking, Lord, help me to know you better. Help me to love you well. And I'm praying for all of you, each one of you. We now have a new updated app. If you want to get the app, I can show you. But 
we have a new updated app, and it actually shows all the families here. And I can go through each one of you, and I can see all your faces. I skip over the ones that call me. But they're all in here. And I can pray for all of you. And I do, and I think about stuff every day, and I pray that you would know the Lamb of God, the Root of David, the Son of Jesse,
so we communicate with each other more. We have text books where we talk to each other. It's crazy. How many of you watch dolphins communicate? These animals that God has created are going to be worshiping Him one day. And He has everything on earth, under the earth for us. Think about that for a moment. actually a place of no curse anymore. We're going to get to that in Revelation chapter 22. There's no more curse in heaven. Heaven's actually a place where there's no darkness or sickness. COVID ain't got nothing on heaven. Pneumonia, the flu, the common cold, it's all gone. Advil, sorry, it's gone. We don't need it anymore. Heaven's a place of no death. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 tells us that. Heaven's a place where we have perfect bodies. Mine's close now. And like when I went to the doctor, I know you laugh. Thank you for laughing. Mine's close now, and I went to the doctor, and he said, you need to get into shape. And I said, well, Brown gets in shape, so I don't know what you're talking about. But we're going to have perfect bodies in heaven. Perfect bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Heaven's a place where there are many mansions. I will have a little dog house and I'll hang out with you guys in your mansions, which is fine. I'm good with that. That'll be in heaven. It'll be a comfortable (laughs) It's very true. I will probably have bought it at Tulsa Furniture. Heaven is a place of abundant life. John 10.10. Heaven's a place of joy. 1 Timothy 6.17. Heaven's a place where we are married to the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 21. Heaven is a place of incredible beauty. We saw two guys try to describe this throne room of God. Man, we're going to get to a point where people are trying to describe heaven. It's actually kind of funny, but it's also like, wait, what? What is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. Heaven is a place of eternal rest and reward. Revelation 14 talks about it, which it includes heaven. It's a place where we get to worship God in every chance around. This is a little bit of heaven on earth for you. We get together and we worship. You don't have to hear me sing. This is a little, yeah, somebody amen that. This is a little place of heaven on earth for you. 
It's a place where we're going to recognize loved ones. Do you ever realize that? We're going to recognize loved ones. In fact, heaven, they're going to re- they recognize Moses and Elijah. So yeah, we're going to be able to know who we are. We're going to be able to see each other. We're going to be able to recognize loved ones. Heaven actually is a place, and I wrote this down for importance. This is probably the most important thing you can take away from this. Heaven is a place where we can eat for enjoyment, not just for sustenance.